I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation. Good evening, Lewis Hover. How are you? Hello, Daniel. I'm really good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. It's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, done a podcast. I've almost forgotten how to do a podcast. I, 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 I yeah, don't know. Yeah, it's any consolation. No one listening to the podcast would have thought you knew what you were doing beforehand. <laughs> well, um, we've had a huge bump in the ratings. We're about a 1,000 up from uh, last month, which is huge. So there are people <laughs> listening. So thank you for listening, everyone. And also, something happened between over the last two weeks we didn't even get to talk about, and that is... We have been nominated for an Australian Podcast Award for Best Comedy Podcast 2021, which is great. We're back. Yes, we're yeah. back going for two in a row. Yeah, we are going for two in a row. And we, I'm, I'm confused because Sizzletown was our, like our arch nemesis because they always won and they're not mm. on this list. I don't know whatever happened to Tony Martin Sizzletown. Tony, Tony Martin, just he just isn't funny anymore. After, <laughs> after 60 years of being one of the kindest, funniest, best gentlemen of Australian comedy, He's lost it, and it's cancel culture's fault. You can't do comedy anymore. Uh, yeah, many people would say that you have replaced Tony Martin as the tall, skinny guy with glasses. <laughs> yeah, there can oh only be God. one tall, skinny man with glasses in comedy, <laughs> and it is Lewis Hubbard. And genuinely, every time Tony Martin and I are in the room together, someone will come up to us and say, can we get a photo with the two of you? And Tony Martin is so bored of it, and it brings me so much joy. Didn't you, didn't, when you, didn't you cast as a young Tony Martin for a Tony Martin film? <sighs> It's a, it's, it's, this is a bit of a long story. I'll try to cut it as quickly as possible. When I was like 23 and I was at film school and I'd never done any performing, I'd just done like a little bit of stand up. I was really like super green. I happened to be at uh, Eddie Perfect's engagement party <laughs> right. and um, Lockie Hume, the actor, bailed me up at this party and started chatting and he was like, mate, Tony Martin's a mate of mine and you look exactly like him. You sound exactly like Tony Martin. And I'm like, Tony Martin's <laughs> one of my comedy heroes. That is so kind of you, Lockie Hume. And he's like, you'll never believe it. Me and Tony are working on a, uh, a, a life story of Tony Martin right now. We're looking for a young Tony Martin and it's got to be you. And I, you, could you believe how excited I was? It was genuinely the happiest night of my life. And he took my number. A week later, he sent me Tony Martin's book in the post, oh, and he's like, yeah. this is the book. Learn it. 
we're going to be hearing this is like you, you got to learn this so that when you and Tony are in the same room, you're ready to go. Right. Uh, then I heard nothing more about it. And then six <laughs> months later, I happened to be at Cookie, a bar in Melbourne, and bumped into Tony Martin. Of all, and I'm like, and I went up to him like, hey, sorry, my name's Lewis. We haven't met, but I'm a big fan. And we're talking for about five minutes. And then he goes, wait, you're Lewis Hobber, right? I was like, yeah, I am. And he goes, Lockie told me about you. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he told me about the project. How's it going? He's like, oh, Lockie's full of shit. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> Oh, crushed, crushed my young spirit. Shattered, shattered. Well, things that are going some places. I do want to say a big, a big hello to the Bidgey Creek Community Podcast, the Candyman Podcast, the Chaser Report. Our friends at the Chaser who are also nominated. Our good personal friends Hamish and Andy who were nominated, mm. Uh, mm-hmm. and the Housewarming Podcast, um, who of course is hosted by one of your old housemates, Marty Smiley. And one of the ha- housemate, a long-term housemate of one of our guests on the podcast today as well. But uh, yeah, he does a podcast all about housemates. And as far as I can tell, he's spoken to every one of the people he used to live with except me. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, let's get, let's, I'm, let's, I'm unsure of what his what his problem is, what he's afraid of. Well, I'm just getting him on the phone right now. Let's have a quick chat with him about that. I want to confront this issue before we start our podcast. Me too, actually. Yeah. I'd love to get the answer to this. <laughs> He won't answer. Did you, did, you, did you tell him he's calling? He'll be doing oh, something weird. Oh, no, I told him. I told him we were going to call him just after eight. Oh, that's even more perfect. Of course he's not answering. <laughs> oh, he's doing this. You know, why he's, you know why he's not answering? He's not answering. Because he knows I'm going to ask him why I'm not on the podcast. Hey there, you've called Marty Smiley. I can't get to the phone right now, but if you leave your name and your number or just shoot me a text, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Oh, here we go. Hey, he's, he's on the, on the other line. Marty Smiley, yeah. Were you trying to um, were you trying to do your best to destroy the Irrational Fear podcast <laughs> by not answering your phone? Time is limited for us. Um. <laughs> you want just humanity? Now we've got Lewis Hover on the line, and also we've got your former another former flatmate, Kirk Docker. Uh, and Lewis has one serious question about your podcast. Even though it is nominated for best comedy podcast, he's got one burning question he wants to ask you about it. Yeah, no, you look good. I mean, obviously, congratulations on the nomination and best of luck. Uh, But I I was wondering why, you know, episode one of the podcast, Kirk Docker, who's on our podcast, who joins us now, Mm -hmm. was on it. So many other of your other housemates on it. Uh So many other Triple J comedians on it. Basically, (laughs) Uh everyone you know that I know has been on it, except (laughs) me. I'm just wondering why, Martin. Look, it's. It's a difficult vetting process that we go through. In fact, not only that, you texted me to ask for a bunch of people's numbers from Triple J so that you could ask them. (laughs) You're like, oh, mate, can you get, have you got Linda Mariano's number? I'm like, yeah, I've got Linda Mariano's number one four. I'd love to get on the podcast. Oh, would you? Someone who you've never lived with and and don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest, Lewis. There's a reason for it, and you have some secrets about Exactly. Leaving. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. That, this that is about. We don't want to come out. Kirk, um, maybe you can bring some insight into why hasn't Lewis been invited on the Housewarming podcast? As, as, as guest number one yourself. He's scared because Lewis will dish up dirt that Marty will not want known to be public. He knew that if I came on the podcast, I would say sort of, 
funny things, nice things, back him up, but he was worried about Lewis. Lewis has got that acid tongue <laughs> and what might be revealed, um, what dodgy, dirty, <laughs> you know, stuff might be revealed from the Marty Swally, uh, you know, vault. All right. Well, and, you know, Ma- I want it out there. Marty, if, if you do win Best Comedy Podcast, will you yeah. then have Lewis Hobber on your podcast as a guest? Look, let me just consult that on this right now. What do you think? Look, I think there's just a lot of, like, diversity slots that we need to really look after yeah. first. And, and he doesn't you know, fit them. He doesn't fit them. I said, there's a lot of boxes you don't really tick, Lewis. I'm really <laughs> sorry to say. But, hey, we'll keep you on the, on the list. And if something comes up, you know, we'll let you know. We'll yeah. let you know. Yeah, tall white right, man in his late 30s. Definitely not in the demographic. <laughs> not going to happen. We already had Tony Martin on. You don't need it. <laughs> All right, let's get rid of the house of Wolfie. Good luck with the, ha- uh, the podcast awards, Marty. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Good luck to you too. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got knotted. I got think we got knotted. Oh my Please. god. Oh well. well look, that's if- how the kids. That's how the kids talk these oh, days, Dan. Here we go. I'm recording my end of irrational fear on Gadigal land of the Yora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra. Or- and Section 40. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, Rupert Murdoch urges Donald Trump to move on from his 2020 defeat. Donald Trump responded by signing an executive order to cancel his New York Post subscription. And since spraining her back, the Queen has had to cut back on driving and horse riding. Doctors have reminded her that she isn't a sprightly 94-year-old anymore. And with 360 days until COP27, we'll have the CEO of Santos here with all the tips on how you can buy off politicians before the silly season. It's the 19th of November and a big... Happy International Men's Day to men, but not all men. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! Welcome to Irrational Fear. I'm your host, former conservator of the Britney Spears estate, Dan Illich, and this is the podcast that looks at the scariest news in the feed and gives it a wedgie. Joining us on the podcast tonight to tell us how they're going to celebrate International Men's Day are this week's fear mongers. Before she was a TV presenter and investigative journalist, she represented Australia at the highest levels of competitive field hockey. Pull up in your shin pads, it's Kirsten Drysdale. <laughs> hey, yeah, close okay. enough to the truth. I'll take it. <laughs> well, Kirsten, how are how are you going to be celebrating International Men's Day tomorrow? Uh, I'm going to leave my kids at home with my husband and go out with the girls for a drink. <laughs> and our next fearmonger spends his days talking with the most misunderstood people in society, fresh from a week of interviewing porn stars. Get fluffed for the creator of You Can't Ask That, Kirk Docker. Thank you and welcome. And fluffers, unfortunately, aren't real. I thought what? that they were. They fluff. They fluff themselves. Oh, uh, right. Really? Yes. I just can't. Yes. Right. One a- of the things I learned yesterday was that one of the big preparations that some female porn stars do is stretching their holes. It's a very, very important part to do before they get onto the set. So it's there's no fluffers. It's them themselves in the bathroom doing, as they call it, ladies' business. <laughs> that sounds like something they should teach, like, women who are going to give birth how to do. Mm. Like, th- that would be useful. Well, yeah. I'm also doing an episode on postnatal depression at the moment. So it's sort of, you know, you can, you know, you can compare notes across the different there, episodes sure. sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, where did the fluffer myth, myth start then? Why do we think there's fluffers? 
I think Boogie Nights, something like that. It's not like Boogie Nights no, anymore. No, it's got to be, got to uh, be so many. It's got to be like decades before that. Like that was a meme before Boogie Nights, surely. Well, I think what they do now is the men anyway. They inject their you know old fellow with something, and that's what keeps them going right. uh, the whole time. So in, you know, an injection has replaced the fluffer in a sense that they can inject it with this special stuff, and it just stays hard for as what, long as what? is, is mean- necessary. Wow. Special necessary. stuff is so vague and terrifying. <laughs> what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> well, they put it in and it stays hard till, it, till, till all day. And the problem they have now oh. is that they need to ejaculate on command. So when you can't ejaculate on command, that's what puts the shoot over, over time and that's what people get really, really annoyed about. So wow. the real skill in a male porn star is being able to ejaculate like that. And wow. if you can do that, you get, you get hired. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Wow. So is it like Selly No Gaps or something? Is that what they inject or is it uh, something? (laughs) It's something along those lines. It's something that keeps them, you know, it's something that keeps them rock hard, rock hard. And sorry, Kirk, why, why, why do you know all this stuff at the moment? What, what's the project? Well, one of the episodes of the new You Can Ask That is porn performers. Um, We're (laughs) not going to say stars because we are delving into uh, you know, OnlyFans and and the full breadth of how porn looks in 2021. But there are some stars okay. in there and there are everything in between. Coming up a little later on, we take a look at the outcomes of COP26 and just how far off net zero emissions the government's own modelling said it will be with Renew Economy's Michael Mazengarb. But first, here is a message from this week's sponsor. Good morning, everybody. Over the last few months, I've been undergoing emergency medical treatment on my leg. It turns out I had been leaning too far to the left. Oh, God, thank God they fixed that up. Now, while I've been away, those vermin at Sky News have cancelled me. Yes, I'm a victim of cancel culture. So that's why I'm starting my own social network. Cancel your Foxtel subscriptions and sign up for QLAN, the social network by me, Alan Jones. From sign up, you can enjoy all the benefits of being a QLAN member. Robert Menzies is still Prime Minister. You call a man a racist. The Wallabies win every now and then. And for the first time in four years, the Wallabies have won. Mark Latham cooks up a delicious Southeast Asian-inspired meal. These are the best scones. And each week, a new album is released by Anthony Kalia's AI. <laughs> ah, what a voice. Sounds like a bit like a computer, but we're working that out. And the best thing is you'll be surrounded by like-minded retirees over the age of 65. So you'll never have to worry about grandchildren correcting you with fake news about climate change from NASA. Oh, God. Global warming? What next? There's a plague or something? Oh, give me a break. Anything you can do on Facebook, you can do on QLAN. Plus more. You can poke people. Yes, you can berate people. You can put people in a chaff bag and throw them out to sea. You can even incite a race ride at the click of a button. And the best thing is, ACMA can't touch you. So join QLAN, the social network where free speech is for easy payments of $49.99 a month. And you can be friends with me, Alan Jones, for an extra $6.99 a month. Oh, now that's real cash for comments. <laughs> So, join QLN today. I was going to call it Jonestown, but it was taken. I'm Alan Jones. <laughs> oh, it's good to see Alan Jones breaking out into a digital space. It's uh, very good. This week's first fear, I wanted to talk about my uh, my local member. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. this. This happened earlier this year. On Speaking of International Men's Day, on International Women's Day, my local member 
went to Edgecliff Station and handed out flowers to uh, female commuters saying, happy International Women's Day. Let's make it a day when we strive to improve the respect, dignity and equality for every woman everywhere. Did you, do you guys remember this at all? Do you remember this moment? I, I do remember that, yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, such a such a touching gesture from Dave Sharma. <laughs> I mean, Leah, like. I was going to say, beautiful thought, beautiful thought, yeah. Mm. No, just so just so wild that in a year when, you know, um, Parliament is completely rocked by rape allegations, sexual assault allegations and misconduct by so many parliamentarians, that's what he came up with for International Women's Day to hand out flowers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I vox popped in that area, and I swear old biddies love that stuff in there. I think he's on the money handing out flowers. It's a perfect response in that part of Sydney. I think I'm all over it. I love it. No, he must yeah. have known the photo on Twitter was going to be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> you know, it's that thing of like you know, flowers make amends for anything. So he's just trying to hand out flowers to all the women in the world to make amends for <laughs> all the bad shit. Yeah, like it's it, it's like a, a complete band aid solution for everything that his government has done over the over the last couple of years on behalf of on behalf of men towards women. <laughs> yeah, but you know, how also there's that uh, thing with flowers where um, there are some people who are suspicious of receiving them because they assume that it's like they're like, why are you getting me these? What have you done? I mean, <laughs> yes. they've done a lot. They've done a lot. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that was preemptive flowers. That was March. That was preemptive flowers for all the shit that was to come for the rest of the year. Oh right, yeah. It was like um, it was like carbon credits. It was like uh, <laughs> it was like bullshit credits. Yeah, yeah. The tone deafness continues. About a month before COP, Dave Sharma went on this whole uh, kind of transition to being like a climate warrior. He's trying to talk a lot like Greta Thunberg uh, to kind of embold himself to the climate concerned in Wentworth. Um, And so he's been really going full on with this. In in fact, he sent out this email uh, about a month ago. This is what said on the email. It says, rapid and large emissions are needed uh, from right now, <laughs> just like uh, what is missing from that sentence is the word reduction. Rapid and large scale emissions reduction are needed and are needed right now. See, it's this weird thing where he's accidentally telling the truth <laughs> and accidentally telling liberal policy when he should be uh, being on the front foot and, and talking about emissions reduction. This is, this is crazy. And also, just two days ago, he went pamphleting around Paddington, handing out pamphlets and meeting new voters. Uh, and this is what he was doing here, handing out these flyers. Now, if you look carefully, can you, can you guys notice anything suspicious about this, this photo of Dave Sharma holding a baby and holding a flyer? Can you, can you see anything, anything weird about this picture? The baby looks like it's passing out. The baby does look like it's passing <laughs> out. Is it a chokehold? Who does baby kissing anymore? I didn't know mm. baby kissing was still a thing. You can't kiss babies. Who's not kissing very yeah, all, all the babies yeah. are unvaccinated. You can't go around just kissing babies. Mm. Well, actually, it's, it's baby stranglehold only, really, wasn't it? There's no <laughs> kissing involved. Yeah. Well, look, if the baby's not breathing out, it's not spreading virus, right? So it's fine. <laughs> wow, that's so dark, Kirsten. <laughs> the only person with children here, that is um, super dark. It's because it says net zero climate action yeah. rather in one full sentence, like his that's, promise is to do no climate action. No that's climate right. action. That's yeah. right. It says net zero climate action on the on the flyer. Once again, he's the only truthful politician in in the Liberal Party. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, on. Did, Dan, I love Dave Sharma. I, I saw you tweet that, Dan, and I 
kind of thought you photoshopped the close-up. Are you saying that is actually his flyer? This is it. I've got it here. I walked up the street and I found one. Look at this. Net zero climate oh, that's action. Great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I thought that was a joke from you. Yeah, because that's so, like, that's Boy Who Cried Wolf from Dan. He's been photoshopping shit for so many years that no one believes the actual mistake now. But it really is. I was like, yeah, good joke, Dan. But that's his real pamphlet. That's his real pamphlet. It's not a joke. This is what he was handing out. This is is net zero climate action, which is ostensibly Liberal Party policy. (laughs) I wanted to share with you what I'm going to do for tomorrow for International Men's Day. Uh, I'm going to dress up in Liberal cosplay in a chambray shirt and chinos and head on down to Edgecliff Station. Um, And because it is International Men's Day, the only tone-deaf thing I could think of to do would be to hand out hammers to a bunch of people at Edgecliff Station. (laughs) That feels really dangerous. I don't think that many people Mm. on trains should just have exposed hammers. Maybe I'm paranoid, but that that feels dangerous. That's what's so exciting about this idea. It's it's quite a malevolent idea. Who gets a hammer? Who gets a hammer? No one gets a hammer. (laughs) Are you suggesting they should nail something? That's what your hammer something is that? Well, the, it, I don't even know what, 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 into what did Dave Sharma mean by handing out flowers to women? Like it's just this, exactly the same thing. I'm just going to hand out hammers to men. <laughs> Take a free hammer. Happy International Men's Day. They look like really good hammers, Dan. Mm. Like really, like well weighted. Shiny um, ends. How much did they? Yeah, they're about they're about ten bucks, fifteen bucks each. So you know, this is what the this is what the Patreon money is funding. Uh, so you know, so you're paying more for mean- hammers than you've paid for me. This is an outrage. <laughs> All right, let's move on to this this week's second fear. This week's second fear: if you go see musical act Brass Against, you may get you may get more than you bargained for. When lead singer Sophia Eurista brought up a fan on stage and then lay him down and basically gave him a golden shower during a cover song of uh, Rage Against the Machine. Um, now, some fans were disgusted by this. Others said it was a real pisser. Kirk, um, should we be disgusted by this or just, you know, have this behaviour normalised? Well, it's interesting you say people were disgusted because if you read the news.com article about it, everyone was disgusted. It was a stomach-churning stunt. It was uh, it shocked the crowd. The man spewed the urine out. But if you actually watch the footage... The man had the time of his he life. He was having a good he time. He was laying yeah. there. It was He awesome. loved being pissed on. It, it was actually an amazing moment. And uh, it, it's the reporting of it has been that it's been disgusting. But in actual fact, he was mopping up the urine. He was throwing on the crowd. He was <laughs> dancing, jiggling. She had to actually <laughs> kick him off the stage. She's like, get off, mate. I'm done. I'm done pissing on you. Get off. I think it's fantastic. Look, I've, a couple of weeks ago I interviewed Trough Man, the myth for this Trough Man, and um, I don't know if you guys know who Trough Man no, is. I, don't, but I he's think we're Sydney. about to find out. I, I honestly can't believe you managed to get Trough Man. Like I, I genuinely thought Trough Man was like, like the Penrith Panther, just a thing that people said at night times. Well, that's – look, the Trough Man is a legendary guy in Sydney that people thought was a myth. Was he alive? Was he dead? The story was that over the last 40 years – he would lay in urinals at parties, at, at the Mardi Gras, after party, etc. And at a certain time of night, he would appear in his little little tiny shorts and people he would lay in a trough and people would wow, kiss on okay. him. Um, and he had the time of his life, so much so that he's become this legend where his shorts are now framed and hung at Stonewall and you can see his urine-soaked shorts that are now dried and hung there. And uh, if I've learned anything from speaking to Trough Man or any other people who are into water sports or golden showers as they call it, um, is that they have the time of their life. And 
All I'd say is that unless you've tried it, don't knock it. I think that golden showers may have something for it that we don't quite know. And if we had the courage to try it, we might be as into it as old mate on stage the other day. Do you think this is why, you know, terrorists in Guantanamo Bay, when they were waterboarded, decided to just hang out there and not give any secrets because they were actually being being done with golden showers instead? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Too much? Too much. No. (laughs) Just just enough. Just enough. I think think for 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 this musical artist, it's so strange because now... People are like, I hadn't heard of Brass Attack before this. I don't know if they're a big... Brass Against. Oh, thanks. Fan. Thank Brass you. Brass Against. Brass against. <laughs> I haven't heard of, I haven't heard Lewis of... is a long-time fan. I haven't heard well, of... I'm more of a fan of pissing on people, but now I've become a fan of Brass Against. <laughs> but I haven't heard I haven't no, no. I haven't heard of Brass Against until this moment. And uh now I feel like that's their thing. That's what they do. They're like that's the thing that people are gonna be going to see. They're gonna be going to Brass Against to hope to see Sophia piss on people. When have you once you hear a description of the genre of music they make honestly getting pissed on is, is the best thing that could possibly happen to you which is they do brass band covers of heavy metal songs which genuinely sounds like the worst like honestly a thousand people could piss on me before i would go to that gig. what a nightmare and it's not like having crazy acts that rock artists do is, every, is something new, you know what I mean? This is as old as time that the rock star will do something wacky to get attention. So it's, it's yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting that it's back on the agenda. Rock stars doing something wacky on stage and they're I, talking I about agree. It. I agree, Kirk. I thought it was awesome. I didn't think it was dis- – I mean, it kind of is disgusting, but that's why it was so fucking awesome. And I don't think it should be normalised. <laughs> like, it needs to <laughs> – Ladies and gentlemen, there's like carols by candlelight. It would be so awesome. Lavinia Nixon some- brings out the pisser. <laughs> and now – Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to do it on the Today Show. But – um. No, and I also, like, I reckon that that video, like, that moment, that is going to be, like, the defining cultural moment of the end of the COVID era, I say, Mm. because it's like we've spent (laughs) two years, like, being paranoid about other people and their bodies and their disgusting fucking fluids that's coming out of them, and we're kind of through it all, and now it's just, yeah, I'm going to piss on your face. Like, Mm. that. she's just embracing that we can be close again. Yeah, twenty twenty one. It's it's more uh, okay to piss on someone's face than it is to sneeze without covering it with your elbow. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> irrational fear. Scott Morrison elaborately deceived the French. The idea that a nuclear reactor with enough weapons-grade uranium to make many many bombs can be treated like a power pack from Bunnings is incredible. I mean, it is just bullshit. A rational fear. This week's third fear. While uh, Eddie Obeid and his son Moses are chillaxing behind bars, the tentacles of the family wealth seem to be uncovered every (laughs) single day. And there are two more brothers implicated with a dodgy property deal in Hawk's Nest. Fearmongers, if you were a criminal mastermind, would you just have offspring for the sole purpose of laundering money? Kirsten? Not worth it. No. <laughs> so I mean, you've, you've, you've got like two kids. Uh, are you going to be like getting them into the family business, so to speak? Crime family. I'm going to send them out to work as soon as they can. <laughs> yeah, but not, not for me. I don't want anything more to do with them. Like, no, they can just, um, you know, start paying board and rent. But the thing, this story was like, for me it was like, you know those like really infuriating property stories where it's, you know, how I bought my first home at 24 and, like, seven para- seven paragraphs deep you discover that these, like, little 
bleached teeth fuckers inherited a million dollars from their parents <laughs> yeah. and that's how they bought the house. So this story is like that except the children, they inherited $30 million from their dad who stole it from the New South Wales government and they're not like buying a three-bedroom Marrickville. They're like buying up secretly, by the way, Aboriginal-owned land on the sleepy coastal towns and they're putting up high-rise developments there where nobody wants them. That's that's this story. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, how I how I bought a high rise development with one simple trick. My dad stole the money. <laughs> exactly. My dad stole some money my- from the government. <laughs> but do you think, Kirsten, dad- as someone who has kids now, it's you would just be at some point you go it you raising you has been such a nightmare that <laughs> the least you can do for me is risk going to prison. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Like can continue my corrupt dealings and make this this money grow even more. Yes. Mm. Yeah, no, no. You mm. get to hold that over them forever. And for sure. Eddie Obed's only gone to prison for ten months. So you know, that land really? was bought that land was bought for six hundred thousand a couple of years ago. After he gets out of prison, the market would be huge. Like the the land's already gone up like easily triple. I'm just like, how do you, how do you like get busted? Like you stole the 30 million. There's, that's, there's no question about that. That is like a hundred percent proven. We know that he stole the 30 million, but they don't have to give it back. You know, like if you steal a car and they find you with the car, the car goes back to the owner. Like how do they just get to keep the 30 million? Dan, you're, you're, you're the only um, born and bred New South Welsh person in the, in, on the podcast. Also, uh, also, also Lebanese person. So yeah. Yeah. Sure. Me, but me that, that, that's going to make my next question seem more loaded than <laughs> I want it to be, which is when was the last time New South Wales had a leader who wasn't corrupt? Oh, do you know what? I actually think it was um friend of the show, Bob Carr. I think that was the last time we had a leader that wasn't really, that really didn't kind of, you know, put his foot in it. Oh, yeah, he left with a clean slate, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, we haven't, rather, we haven't, it hasn't been discovered what he's done yet. Like, that's, <laughs> right, right. we need to yeah. call, we need to call Kate McClymont and ask her. Like, <laughs> get her on the podcast again and say, what has Bob done? Because, like, in Victoria, there, there are people right now with nooses and guns on the street because Dan Andrews, like, made pretty similar decisions to most of the premiers around the country. (laughs) Whereas in New South Wales, you can literally steal $30 million and no one cares. No, it's so staggering that just no one gives a fuck about like and you I don't can know and you can mess normalized. up and you can mess up lockdown and you can uh, resign for being um, uh, alleged allegedly corrupt and then people will leave flowers at your office like that's it's <laughs> wild yeah it's incredible and you know people you can just be like oh I'm leaving over a bottle of Grange and everyone will go yep that seems reasonable checks out no more questions here and you're like. Obviously, it's not that. I think it's because no one cares. I think it's because people in Sydney are so property obsessed. Um, when they see stuff like this, they go, "Well, whatever you got to do to get ahead, you know, mm. <laughs> you know, good on, good on, yeah. good on Daryl. He really tried it on." Do you think Eddie and the family are into water sports? That's why they went for the property there at at uh, at Hawks uh, Nest. Good yeah. access to the beach. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Rational fear. The agreement that's come out uh, of Glasgow overnight's a green light for more coal production. That's good news for the world because, in my view, the most important thing for the world to do uh, over the next few decades is to bring more and more people out of poverty. And coal and cheap energy helps do that. A rational fear.
In a moment, we're going to be talking with Michael Mazengarb about Australia's place in the world stage and how we are absolutely the worst country in the world when it comes to climate negotiations. But I've actually got uh, uh, someone special on the line right now. We've actually got the world's greatest high jumper who happens to be an Australian. So Mick Nevin, thanks for joining us, an Australian high jumper who claims to be the greatest high jumper in the world. Welcome. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, that is correct. I am. Uh, I am. <laughs> it's an amazing claim to be the world's greatest high jumper. What's the basis for the claim? Well, I have never missed a jump. Not once? No, that's right. I have never knocked the bar onto the mat. So what's your highest jump? 50 centimetres. 50 centimetres? That's not very high. Well, that is the target that I have set for myself, and I meet and beat that target every time I jump. Now, the men's high jump record is 2.45 metres and the women's record is 2.09 metres. You're nowhere near that. Oh, yeah, but I don't worry about what other high jumpers are doing. You've never once competed at the Olympic Games? <laughs> Why would I? The Olympics, that's a hot air fest. All those so-called high jumpers making bold claims about clearing 2.4 metres. And what happens? They all knock the bar onto the mat and mm. they look pretty stupid doing it. I meet and beat my target every time. I'm a can-do high yeah. jumper. Yeah, it's only 50 centimetres, though, isn't it? That's right. I don't need to jump higher. I'm less than 2% of the world's high jumpers. If okay. I raise the bar to even 1.5 metres, sure, I could jump it, but that's a clear right. goal. To achieve that, I'd need a coach. I'd have to start training. I'd need objectives. Why bother? I can meet and beat that 50 centimetres, and it doesn't tax me or anyone else. Yeah, 50 centimetres. You know, a primary school kid could jump that jump. So <laughs> I am the world's greatest high jumper. You're not the world's greatest. Are uh, the jumper. world's greatest high jumper? Never miss a jump. Don't forget that. Never miss a jump. Mick, thanks for joining us on Irrational Fear. <laughs> See you on the mats, buddy. COP26 is over, and while Australia is once again the bad guy at the international talks, we didn't quite manage to derail the entire thing. No, that prestigious title went to India at the last minute when they decided to change the phrasing of the words phase out to phase down for coal, to which most of the other countries went, what the fuck is phasing down? <laughs> Joining us to discuss COP26 and Australia's modelling to net zero is uh, from Renewable Economy, Michael Mazengarb. Welcome, Michael. Hi, everyone. And uh, Michael's also a, uh, a, a Patreon member as well, which is really cool. So it's really mm. cool to have you on, Michael. I love that um, Rational Fear are getting in some pay-to-play gear. That's good stuff. <laughs> full, full disclosure, <laughs> Michael pays us to do the podcast uh, about, three, about $3 yeah. a month. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Did you see the hammers Dan just bought? Dan just bought some really nice hammers. So there, so, mate, now, well done. And, yeah, as, as a Patreon member, uh, how do you feel about um, me buying hammers to pull a stunt tomorrow? I'll be lining up at the station <laughs> okay, to collect yeah. my money back there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and to hammer you over the head, Dan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me back my money. M Michael, I just wanted to quickly, <laughs> before we get you on quickly, just to explain the net zero modelling that got released couple of weeks after COP had all kind of been done and dusted. It was really remarkable. First of all, Scott Morrison came out before COP to say, oh, yes, you know, we're, we're going to meet uh, our net zero. We're going to get net zero by 20, 2050 and then refuse to release the modelling until last week. What did that modelling show and how far away are we actually from meeting net zero? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Firstly, it was really funny because they went out and announced that Australia was committing to uh, zero emissions by net 50 um, and they promised this modelling uh, and then we found out in Senate estimates they hadn't actually finished writing it. So <laughs> the reason why it was released so late is because they were still behind the scenes putting together the document. 
And then when it did come out, what we see is that rather than meeting net zero emissions, uh, the plan that the government has put out has us on track to reduce emissions by 85%. Uh, and there's a nice 15% gap in the plan that the government just is saying that hopefully we'll have some technologies that might just appear um, and help us bridge that gap. But they haven't actually baked in a plan to net zero. There's actually this 15% gap. where. They- <laughs> How can they go about calling it a net zero by 2050 target then? So there's this like, you can go and look at the modelling and and you can see there's a nice chart that the government has put together and they say, look, we're expecting to reduce Australia's emissions by about a further 60%. Uh, They're then going to go and buy, you know, up to sort of 20% worth of offsets from overseas. And then just this gap. Um, and they, they're saying that hopefully we'll overachieve and hopefully, you know, who knows, some crazy fantastic technology will come along and bridge that gap. But they don't know what it is and uh, they don't have any idea about when or, or if that technology will come along. So the plan over the next 30 years is do a little bit of work, plant a few trees and pray. Pretty much. <laughs> they're just counting on everyone else. Basically, it's counting on these um, innovations and, and technologies emerging from overseas. They're not even trying to sort of make them happen here in Australia by sort of investing in Australian research or Australian innovation. They're really just counting on it happening overseas. The, it, it's the fingers crossed bar on the graph, <laughs> right? Like it's just, yeah. sort of like closing your eyes and, and taking a swing and then hopefully we'll get to 2050 with zero net emissions, but they don't actually know that we're going to do it for sure. Man, it's Michael, can I ask you a question? Mm. What I, what I, can I ask a dumb question? What is Morrison actually scared of by actually just going, we'll just do it? You know, we'll just be zero emissions by, like, I can't, I, just from the outside, I can't quite work out what is the, the is, it, is it just that the, they're bowing down to coal? Is it that they're worried about being real? What is actually they're scared of actually about just saying, yes, we'll just do it? So the modelling actually answers that question. <laughs> so they modelled a few different alternate scenarios One scenario is we actually do get to zero net emissions and we plan that and we bridge that last 15% basically by investing in carbon sequestration um, and doing that through planting trees. And that modelling shows, that scenario shows that the coal sector and the gas sector lose out in the order of about $4.9 billion. But landholders, so farmers benefit by almost an equivalent amount. And so they have this scenario that says we can actually get to zero net emissions, coal loses out, farmers win, but we're not going to pick that scenario because that's a negative impact on the economy that they don't like. So we're going to go to this 85%. So it's purely this comparison between farmers versus fossil fuels and the government picked fossil fuels. My favourite thing about it is that usually when someone releases something like modelling, or, or any kind of data, usually politicians will be smart enough to, to make it so complicated that average people like me can't really get to the bottom of it. You sort of get obfuscated by information, and in the end you're kind of like, it could be true. But they literally put out the, the like, the four-chunk graph, which, gen, which genuinely just had 15%, we don't know. And I, it was, that was, I was like, oh, thank you for making your incompetence easy for the incompetent. I really do appreciate that. And the modelling itself is a real reflection of how the government got to its policy. So they went away and they paid McKinsey, the consultancy, $6 million 
to produce the first round of economic modelling. They then brought in a team of uh, basically coalition-aligned economists, including Brian Fisher, who their previous work was they authored modelling which was used to attack the Labor government's climate policies in the lead-up to the federal election last time round, which came up with these crazy figures for how much that policy was going to cost and basically was just slammed for not having any credibility. They brought those guys in to then review and, and verify the McKinsey modelling, and then the department itself wrote the report. So they've really, like, massaged this modelling together, and still it's really explicit and it's really clear what the government is doing and who they're siding with. I, I noticed um, the other last week there was a story about McKinsey employees being pissed off that they were being press-ganged into doing work like this, but not, not explicitly for Australia but for, uh, to, for fossil fuel companies and for for bad actors on the, on, the, on the scene. Do you think these consulting groups will eventually stop doing this kind of work for the government? I think, I mean, for this, this piece of work in particular, like the reputational damage, the reputational risk that is there is quite significant. If you've got your name, your brand attached to what then becomes ostensibly sort of political modelling and political reports, you go, look, it's not worth it. Like the, the brand damage that occurs is, is so significant that, you know, it's probably not going to be worth the $6 million because they're going to lose out on other contracts and their reputation gets damaged. But it is six million dollars mm. to do some maths yeah, that doesn't add up. And like, if like, yeah. like, if they wanted, I'd love that- to live in a world <laughs> where um, lying isn't rewarded. But I don't know if we do, Michael. <laughs> I, I mean, I know I work in the the energy sector. I write about energy all the time. A lot of my friends work in the energy sector, and we look at this modeling. And you go, look, we could have done a lot better than that for a lot less than six million dollars. <laughs> like, if we rustled up five of us, we could have, you know produced a million bucks each and done a lot better. Is there like a website we can go to to, to try and get jobs to take the modelling away from McKinsey at a much much more competitive price? Like can we... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, that was something that, interestingly, McKinsey was chosen to do this modelling. The CSIRO had actually also pitched to do the modelling and, and this came out also in Senate estimates. They said, look, we applied to the government. We would have done the modelling for the government. Um, it's a CSIRO, it's going to be some of Australia's best, you know, minds in terms of energy and climate. And they didn't pick them, they picked McKinsey, who Angus Taylor used to work for. Just, you know. Have the government given, given any um, explanation for that decision? No, I think, you know, it was it was the CSIRO that sort of revealed that they had applied for it. I, they didn't want to really, you know, throw their, uh, you know, the government under the bus because, you know, if you're in the CSIRO, you you're sort of pretty wary about um, how much control the federal government has over your funding. Mm. Um, mm. But, you know, we, we can, you know, try and find out. So are there public servants out there that have done their own modelling? Like, you know, in the CSIRO, would, would the, is the modelling done somewhere else, but it's like in a cabinet that no one can uh, unlock and look at? It could be. The other thing is we have these bodies, like we have bodies like the CSIRO, we have bodies like the Climate Change Authority, which still exists, but just basically sits dormant that could be used to produce this type of modelling. Previous governments have used Treasury to produce this type of modelling. All of this modelling could be done uh, in-house in the government or it could be done, you know, in a way that um, is is done in consultation with the industry. Uh, But this round of modelling has really just sort of been a bit of a, um, you know, a massage job from the government. 
Oh my god. Is it just that is it just that the the government gets so much money from these companies that they need it or they actually think this is a better play for Australians? They genuinely believe this is a better play for Australians. What I don't quite understand it still. It's still so confusing to me. I don't know. Like, you know, it seems like, you know, I sit there every day and you look at the advances that are being achieved in wind and solar and batteries and electric vehicles and you think these are the technologies of the future. If you want to talk about technologies, not taxes, like these are the technologies that are emerging and we should be investing in those. Uh, But yet we're talking about carbon capture and storage, you know, Australian delegation in Glasgow had the Santos <laughs> CCS diorama in the official pavilion. Like I don't, and, and not to say like that they're completely sold and, and, but it's, it's hard to know like how they think this is, is playing out and, and what motivates them aside from maybe self-interest. It's interesting to say like um, technologies like this are kind of being rolled out all around the world. Like as in every single country that is beholden to fossil fuels, you see the same playbook being rolled out in every other place. Like carbon capture storage doesn't work anywhere, yet every other country that is a big exporter of fossil fuels is trying it on as a way to placate their donors and to to keep fossil fuels alive another few years. But it's really just like a conceptual art sphincter in the ground. <laughs> like it's, it, do, it doesn't do anything. Like it, it's meant to capture gas, but no gas ever gets captured. We have one operational project here in Australia that's out uh, in Gorgon in Western Australia that's being run by Chevron. It was years late. It's operating well below capacity. They, they poured hundreds of millions of dollars into this thing and they can't get it fully operational because it's, it's trying to s- store carbon under the seabed, but the equipment they're using to store it is getting clogged with sand. And I don't know how they didn't <laughs> foresee that happening, but our one... Carbon capture and storage project is oh running at like God. half capacity. Because uh, when you're talking about carbon capture storage, that's one of the key elements of the modelling. Um, I remember seeing a map put up on um, put up on Twitter of all the places where we're going to store carbon underground. And if you see this map, there's just large patches of blue where the carbon is going to be stored underground in this in this mythical kind of cave system. It's it's remarkable to kind of see that you're like, oh, wow, instead of like, instead of not putting that fossil fuel into the air, they're just going to poison the earth and like bury it under huge tracts of land. Um, that surely doesn't seem to me any better than, than chucking in the air. I, I think, you know, I would like to have the confidence of someone who pushes carbon capture and storage <laughs> because they're saying, look, we'll just pump this stuff under the ground and it will just stay there and it will stay there forever. But, like, we don't really know that much about what's going down underneath the ground. Like, things like earthquakes happen, the ground, the sort of geology is constantly moving. To think that we could just put stuff down there and expect it to last forever is just a bit sort of, um, I think, ambitious a bit, I think. Maybe a way that if you if we want to try to, like, harness... Uh, a very vocal like right wing group to end up sort of playing themselves. Here's my here's my big play, right? <laughs> okay. You need start leaking to QAnon that carbon capture and storage is a secret government program to kill the lizard people. <laughs> now, once we get that in their heads, they're going to be like, "But the lizard, we need the lizard people." And then there'll be a save the lizard people campaign yeah. from QAnon, which will end up meaning they are attacking 
carbon capture and storage, and then suddenly we'll have all of QAnon on the side of renewable energies. Excellent. This is great. This is a great idea, Lewis. I think you've cracked it. And we all guys. know Scott Thanks, Morrison guys. loves QAnon. He's got his best mate, which is he's, he's Q guy, and he's out there. He's exactly. out there. He's out there telling exactly. people. He's out there telling mm. the state premiers. Mm. You no, know, we should let it rip. You know, these QAnon people, they know what they're talking about. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> I love I love that cue guy. It's so good. <laughs> well, on that note, that is it for Irrational Fear. Big thank you to all of our guests this week. Um, have you got anything to plug, Kirk? You can ask that comes out in April next year. <laughs> Set a reminder. <laughs> Check your calendars. Kirsten, do you want to, do you want to plug anything? Yeah, don't miss it. No, I've got nothing on. Sorry. Summer <laughs> hockey comp in Newcastle next week. That's about it. <laughs> Who are you playing for, Kirsten? So people can come and check you out. <laughs> the Tigers. All right. Newcastle Tigers. Tigers. The Mighty Tigers. Michael, oh, do you want to play the Mighty Tigers? Uh, so I work for Renew Economy. We write every day on uh, climate, energy, electric vehicles. So if you want to get your fix on that news, uh, Renew Economy is your one-stop shop. Mm, great. And, Lewis, we've got something to plug. Uh, on January 29. We're going to be having our 10-year anniversary show at the Sydney Opera House. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. <laughs> I'm very excited. We we um, we have done one show at the Opera House before. In fact, with Bob Carr, I believe. And yeah. Kirsten. And Kirsten. Kirsten did I was that. there. Kirsten did that show That's too. That's right. Yeah. That was great. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, I assume the Playhouse. I assume we're in the big theatre. I hope so. The Playhouse or the Drama Theatre. I'll take either one, but I know it's booked for I mean, I meant, no, wait, nine. the Concert Hall. Put us in the Concert Hall. Come on. <laughs> no, put us in the Opera House. Put us in the Opera Theatre. Sure. Yeah. Put us the in big the, one. The big one. The big one. one. Yeah. A thousand more people are listening a week now. Come on. <laughs> That's half an Opera House. You can feel it. You can feel it. So January 29. And Free hammers. Lewis will pee on someone's face on stage. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It takes on a very different a quality theme. when it's a man, I think. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was thinking when I was watching that, this is so awesome because it's, it's a lady. If this was a guy peeing on a girl's face, it just wouldn't feel the same. Something about yep. squatting, I reckon. <laughs> it just felt really original. Yeah. You, you could do the tuck, Lewis. I, I, you could do um, the tuck. I think I'll do the something which is even worse, which is I'll bring my saxophone and play a cover of a heavy metal song. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, we should uh, we should book James Valentine for the show. And <laughs> <laughs> all the weird white guys who play sax together. <laughs> uh, big thank you to all of our new Patreon supporters this uh, this month: um, Los Estevez, James Smith, Helen Schultz, Darren Reed, Sharon Yoxel, Peter Kin, and Jan. Jan Williamson, Kate, Bill F, Michelle Bloor, Shelby Stewart, Toby Stratman, Steve, Steve Hodgson, Dina Afrianti, and a big thank you to Tasha Shana, who said I forgot to read out her name the first time around. So thank you, Tasha Shana, for becoming Patreon members. A big thank you to you, Michael Mazengarb, who is also one of our longtime Patreon supporters. Uh, also a big thanks to Road Mike's The Bertha Foundation, uh, Lee Constable, and Jacob Round on the Teppan Yaki timeline. Until next week, there's always something to be fearful of. Until then, bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.